0: Hi, before we get to this week's episode, um, there's a couple things I want to mention. First of all, this is a sensitive subject, so this episode is not appropriate to listen to in front of children or some of our younger listeners. Secondly, uh, I realized when I was editing this audio that there was a problem with my audio this week, and so I apologize for that. So now to the episode.
1: Gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the Gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ.
0: What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The gospel never tells us something to do. The gospel tells us
1: about something that's been done.
0: Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And we're really excited to have Todd Bordeaux back with us. He's been on, let's see, I think you've been on twice. And then we played a sermon of yours um, recently, which a lot of people really appreciated. And Todd is Rachel's pastor. So one of the things that um, probably since the beginning of Theology Gals that comes up over and over is women who find out their husbands are uh, using pornography. And it's really, it's really a big problem. It's really a big problem in the church. And with all the questions we got, we really wanted to address this, and Todd is really great on this subject. Um, So, oh, I I should have said, Todd, you're pastor of Cornerstone Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Houston, and um, so hopefully I get to visit the church sometime, heading down there in a few weeks, but won't be there on a Sunday, but then we're going to head back later, fly down for a couple weeks, so... Um, let's just start, Todd, with how should a woman respond when she finds out her husband has been doing pornography? That's really the main question we get.
2: Sure. Let, let me just first um, thank you for having me on and love the podcast. Um, I, I, did, I did a, a on the Glory Cloud podcast, which many may be familiar with, um, of your listeners, I did a show on Chris and I on porn and handling it from the perspective of the new creation in Christ. So I want to talk about that a little more today and expand a little bit on what we did on that show and people can find it if they want on the glory cloud at com. But the first question for the wife, and, and again, it's really tough doing this on a podcast because every situation's so unique. So you always want to get local help, people who actually know. So anything I would say, you know, is more general based on my experience. And now I'm old enough to have dealt with um, members addicted to porn a number of times. But when we talk about porn addiction, we have to make sure that we're actually talking about addiction. Because some people, when they bring up porn as an issue, you have to find out what they mean. So, for example... Um, if your husband well, likes Game of Thrones, for example, that doesn't make him a porn addict, so whether that show is acceptable or not is a different question, but simply watching a show that happens to have a nude scene every once in a while wouldn't make him a porn addict so if you sometimes when people say my husband has an issue with porn, you have to really ask what do you what do you mean other times it's um you know, if a, if a man, and by the way, this is true for women. A uh, growing number of women are addicted to porn, as the stats show. So it's not uncommon for the woman to have the problem. But we'll, we'll talk about men just because it's, I don't want to say him or her every five seconds. Um, but, you know, if he's watched a few times, and of course with the internet, it's just so easy. But And then he stopped on his own. He's not a porn addict. But either way, before you know that, if you ever find out or catch your husband, I would always advise, unless you're living with an unbeliever who's very dangerous, um, in which case I would advise other things. But, you know, you you should tell him to stop. Tell him that that kind of thing violates the marriage vow that he made to honor and love and protect you. Um, If he generally stops and repents, I would simply move on. We're not dealing with an addiction. And, and it's important to remember that it's not about you. Men don't look at porn because of deficiency in their wife. It's a decision they make. And men do, especially addicts, they, they would do that no matter who they're married to. And you'll find guys, especially out there um, in the world, married to the most beautiful women known who have porn issues. And so it's, it's it's not about, well, if you just did something, he would stop looking at porn. I've never seen that. And even guys who watch it would, it would admit that. So it's much deeper than, well, if someone else did something. Um, there's all kinds of different reasons people look, but they, it's a choice they make. So don't take responsibility for someone else's sin. That's their sin to deal with. And, and a really important point is if somebody is addicted to porn, getting married will not fix it. And that's a common misconception that people say. Um, and it's a misunderstanding partially of 1 Corinthians 7, thinking that if you're burning with lust and you get married, that that lust will stop. And that usually backfires really bad because over time that addiction shows itself. So never think, if you know someone struggling with porn, never think marriage is, is the answer to porn addiction because it won't be. But if we're not dealing with, and we're going to spend most of this episode dealing with actual addiction, but if we're not dealing with addiction, if he or she stops, it may take a little while to rebuild trust, especially depending on what they watched. I often remind guys my age that before the internet, when we were kids, the things we would see in magazines as teenagers is nothing like what's out there in the internet now it's It's much, much sicker and worse. Um, so normally when we say internet porn today, some of the older people have certain memories, and without getting into it, and, and you should probably warn everyone that this is not an episode for children, right but um. Uh, assuming that it's nothing too bizarre, and, and obviously, if children involved, you want to call the police. But normally, if it's just looking at things like like we know, if if they stop, you know, you just move on. Everyone has weaknesses, and um, or you know, they do dumb things. I, I just wouldn't I wouldn't overdo it if it's just once or twice and a few times, and then they stop. And I wouldn't try to read anything too much into it. And so forgive and and see what happens. Again, general advice that over a podcast, you have to be careful, but just normally. So for anything that you're confused about, obviously check with your local pastor or anything like that. But that's generally the way I would handle a non-addiction. And even with teenagers. And I remember one guy in our church whose son caught his son watching porn. He was a teenager. And he told his son that that means he's probably not a Christian. And I just advised him, you really don't want to do that. You don't really want to give the impression that he has to doubt his salvation or God's love for him because he makes this mistake. Just teach him about it and what's wrong with it. And Relax. You know, there's all kinds of different things in life we can lust for. If it's not people, it can be houses or clothes. or. So don't overdo it. And obviously then if we're dealing with addiction, then we're at a different level. But I'll stop there and ask for any thoughts before we get to actual addiction.
1: Now, as, as a mom of teenage boys, I do appreciate the encouragement not to uh overreact, right? When if you see something I'm not saying I have with my voice, but that but wanting to keep a trustful relationship with my children and be able to talk to them about concerns. I appreciate you taking it that from that approach.
2: Well you're ready to talk about addiction, which is what we we'll yeah. spend our time on. So obviously the problem today in the church is porn addiction. And it's much worse than simply catching someone once in a while, its and I would recommend a book that should be on every pastor's bookshelf on sexual addiction. It's called Out of the Shadows by Patrick Carnes, and this is the key book to understand sexual addiction. But let me just define addiction, and I'm going to add one word as a pastor, and the rest of it really comes from more of a clinical definition. Addiction is an idolatrous, dependent relationship with a substance, person, or thing to numb the pain of living in a fallen world. Addiction is a biological and emotional quest for gratification, regardless of the consequences to the individual or or others. Now, I added idolatrous because as a Christian, if you're addicted to anything, it's what you live for. It's what you think about throughout the day what you're trying to do or get to. So anything you live for more than anything else becomes an idol. But it's also dependent. And so there's a biological and an emotional dependency on that thing, whatever it is. You've taught your body as well as your emotions to need it. And so whenever, you know, think of an alcoholic who, you know, when he comes home, he just needs he needs the beer. He, um, he he really can't get through life, especially when gets life gets stressful without it. You've just taught your body to need it, and so when you get to the level of addiction, most would need some kind of help quitting. It's very difficult to quit an addiction all by yourself. Not that it doesn't happen, but you know, and anyone knows who's dealt with alcoholics. It's very rare that an alcoholic just quits on his own. Usually he needs rehab. And so, and they may even want to quit. Most porn addicts I have known and counseled, they do want to quit, but they can't. And so it is in your churches, even according to Covenant Eyes, um, one out of every five mobile searches is for porn, and that includes women. And Covenant I states that 56% of divorce cases uh, involve a partner's obsessive interest in porn. Now, there may be other reasons for the divorce, but listed on there as one of the issues was porn addiction. 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women, these are those who identify as Christian, report watching porn at least once a month. So it's very important to remember that it's common, much more common now than if I can call it in the old days where the addict would have to drive to one of those weird, gross places uh, to fulfill his addiction. Now with the internet, this is too easy. And so we're going to get to in a moment, how then do I counsel porn addicts? Okay, at the end of this, I'm going to read a testimony from somebody I've recently helped through porn addiction, and and I think it's going to be helpful to hear his perspective. So as far as when people ask me, how do I, as a pastor, deal with it? And again, this is just me. Pastors will have different techniques or whatever you want to call it. I always assume they want to stop. If not, if they're not even willing to stop, then obviously that you have more of a serious spiritual situation uh, dealing even with church discipline if they even refuse. But that's pretty rare. If if they've come to the point where they admit anything, they want to stop. Now, what about grounds for divorce? Is porn addiction grounds for divorce? Well, it depends how you understand sexual immorality. Most pastors I know would say yes. If a man refuses to truly get help and stop, then it would be listed under sexual immorality. You can check, check with your local church, check the scriptures, you know, read different things. But most of us that I know, even in more conservative reform circles, would say it is. But hopefully it doesn't get to that point where they refuse help even when caught. But let's say we come to the point where they trust me. They tell me their problem. How do I approach it? Well, what I try to do is appeal to the new nature and their union with Christ. And you see how Paul does this in 1 Corinthians 6, dealing with those who were still using prostitutes, thinking there was nothing wrong because they had such a low view of the body that it didn't matter. And he doesn't threaten them with not being Christians. He, he shows them the sinfulness of it, because they are Christians. And so he appeals to their new nature. And so there's really two issues with a porn addict. One is why he even started it. And that's more of a, a issue for a therapist. Sometimes people start because the stress of life they need something to numb it. And so the stimulation of watching something like that kind of makes their minds and emotions forget. Sometimes it's trauma. Sometimes it can simply be lust, nothing more. But I'm not a therapist and I don't try to do therapy. So it may be helpful to know how it all started, but that's not my approach as a pastor. I deal with the spiritual angle now of bringing about genuine repentance and change. So often I will refer to a professional, especially if there's other issues like depression and things. but just to show that I don't think it's helpful for pastors to try to play therapist and go to his childhood and figure everything out. Because even if you do, you still have the problem of porn addiction in front of you. And just knowing where it started is not going to help him stop it. And so there, there are other issues involved. But the problem obviously is lust. But what is lust? Lust is using people for self-gratification. And what's the opposite of lust in the Bible? well, it's love. And so Christ was holy. And so how did Christ view women? Did he walk around hiding his eyes from women so he wouldn't have to look at them? No. His holiness consisted in love. He never used people. He looked on them with perfect love. So if my goal is for the person addicted to porn to be Christ-like, I don't want them to see these women as temptresses That they need to simply avoid. That's sort of a Pharisaical approach. Matter of fact, if you read the Talmud in Soda 22b, it lists the seven types of righteous, self righteous people. And one of them is called the Bleeding Pharisee. And the reason he was called the Bleeding Pharisee is he would walk with his eyes closed when he saw an attractive woman, and he would actually receive wounds by bumping into walls. And so they called him the bleeding Pharisee. And I've noticed that many of the approaches in conservative circles, Christian circles, is more like the Pharisees, more like simply to um, have them avoid computers and phones and the Internet, just to stay away. And I don't think that approach is ultimately helpful because I want their hearts to change where they don't want to use people anymore. And I don't think in today's world, it really works given that you almost have to have the internet. If you're going to work, if you're going to have a phone, I mean, it's really tough, very long to keep them away. Though some will argue that maybe for the first month or so, just, and if you want to do that, that's fine. But ultimately their hearts have to change. Their minds have to change. I want to approach it more in, in, Letting the Gospel really sink in and what it means to be christ like so before I get into details of how I do that, let me stop and again get any comments or questions from you too yeah. okay. please feel free to join in
0: what i was I was thinking um, I can tell you that some of the in regards to teenagers um, and having raised four boys and seen you know, different friends and stuff, where they learn how to get around the um, the like covenant eyes or, or one of these things. And in fact, I just heard a a story where um, they figured out. Well, there was things on YouTube they could watch that wouldn't be blocked, and there's there's different things like that. And I even think of Amy Bird's book, "Avoidance Isn't Purity," fitting into what you're talking about now.
2: Yes. Rachel?
1: I was thinking along the same lines about, you know, there is a lot of um, effort put into um, in avoidance or keeping things away or, or trying to stop. And and you're right that it is a heart issue that until someone's heart is changed, you know, they're still going to seek out ways to do things that they want to do, regardless of what, you know, protections you put on. Um so I guess that's my comment I appreciate the, the the emphasis on the heart
2: and obviously, if we're talking about children, you want to put parent parental controls on things and right I mean we didn't give our children phones till they were sixteen, so we didn't and that was when it was first starting whenever you could actually get on the internet on the phone but so you don't want to give children any opportunities to be tempted, but the older they get in the teen years you're right there's just it's just too easy to get around prohibitions. Uh, you just find it everywhere. Right. So ultimately, even with older teenagers, you want their hearts to change.
1: Uh, you know, I was, we do have um, a monitoring software on our house that does make it harder to get to certain sites, mainly because with kids and they're doing research for projects and things, I want them to be I don't want them to accidentally hit things. Um, so it, you know, it, it does kind of protect from that, but you're right. It, it would be creepy to have another adult constantly looking at everything I've looked at or everything I've gone to, or, you know, trying to explain everything. Um, just having someone looking over your shoulder.
2: And again, I'm sure there are people out there that said covenant eyes or that type of thing worked. And again, that's fine. I'm just saying for me, I don't want to do that. So when i'm dealing with a believer who wants to stop i ask him to begin to pray that god will give him a different perspective on people especially those he is using for self gratification because once you're a porn addict it's the problem is much bigger than porn itself you you're, you are using people and so you'll begin to use people in other areas of life too you will see especially women um or man, you know, whatever the context, you will begin to see them as objects to be used. That's one of the problems with addiction. And so it really, the point is to change their hearts from the inside on people, to be Christ-like in the way he loved. And so I begin to, I tell the person to begin to pray that God will give you a new perspective, a Christ-like perspective on the people you're using. And so the goal is not then to think of you yourself as the victim and they're the ones that are trying to destroy you, but you are the perpetrator and you're using them and for that reality to really hit you in your spirit. So what I do is I, I give them documentaries on women in porn, testimonials from ex-porn stars. And I want them to see these people as real human beings made in God's image and that what they're doing is they're perpetuating this type of abuse and objectification and using people to their detriment. So you're actually hurting them by watching this. And so not to see these women as objects, but as real people. And then you will grow in, in this disgust that you're using them. You have a motive for stopping that's others motivated, not simply you trying to be more holy, but you trying to be more loving. And so, you know, Luther's idea that all good works are for our neighbor. And so I try to show them that you're perpetuating this type of um, abuse and violence and, Uh, the way these women are treated, you're actually supporting it and you're hurting them. And you're even giving them a reason to continue in this by supporting this industry. And so they begin to watch, they agree to watch these um, documentaries and you can find these. There's some on Netflix. There's so you can find testimonials, even those who have um, come to know the Lord on what it was like in this industry in being used, and they begin to watch. And all of a sudden, porn takes on a whole new view. Now it becomes disgusting. You begin to hate the industry. You want no part of it. You realize that this is someone else's daughter or sister, that they have a real story. They're not just temptresses, but they're people you're using for your own gratification, And what's the first fruit of the Spirit? It's love. It's love for others. And so during that time as they're watching this, I'm praying for them that God would give them that fruit of the Spirit to love those people and not want to use them. So the goal then is to have a heart change where you won't need to take away their computer and their phone, but that they won't want to do it. Now, let me just say, it doesn't mean they'll never struggle with it. But that the idea of using them again, that's what stops them, their love for people. And I'm going to read in a moment a testimonial of someone. And there's more than one who this approach and sometimes they actually taught me where they started thinking this way. But with this one, it's someone I helped through this, but um. Let me just stop there before I read this and ask you any other thoughts or questions.
1: I hear a lot in certain circles uh, where people will say, well, you know, it's... Using porn doesn't hurt anybody, right? These are... You're talking about adults who've made choices and, you know, if they want to do that, then fine. And, you know, it's victimless, right? Um, So it is... Encouraging to me to hear that there are um, documentaries and other things coming out to shed light on the, the victims, the real victims of, of the porn industry.
2: Yeah, and even if you take away porn, anytime you use someone, you hurt them mm-hmm. in any area of life, right? Right. So there's really no such thing as a victimless um, using of people. And so that's sort of the goal. And and this young man, I'm about to read his testimony. um, This was the worst case of porn addiction I've ever seen. And so I asked him to share his story. He's a very brave young man. I edited a bit for time, but I think it will resonate with those maybe who are struggling right now with it. He writes, dear listener, I was asked if I could write my story about my porn addiction the lasting effects, and how I overcame it. I find writing this increasingly difficult because though I truly am experiencing freedom from addiction, the story does not seem quite over. I still have bad thoughts at times, and I'm tempted to go back to looking at porn on a regular basis, but I do not. Solely because of God's grace and power, this is the good news. To set the stage, I was molested at seven years old, and I started watching porn soon after. The sexual assault, along with my father leaving at the age of nine and not having my mother around, while my brother hated me, set the stage for an addiction that lasted over 17 years. Trauma gave me an affinity for porn. In porn, I discovered a false form of intimacy and love. Porn also offset my intense struggle with clinical depression and severe anxiety. It satisfied a legitimate need in my heart. It numbed the harsh struggles I faced, but at a deceitfully high price. One price I paid was a general restlessness because porn affected my physical, mental, psychological, and spiritual well-being. Physically and mentally, I craved porn every day. I could not sleep or function properly until I watched it, often multiple times a day. Psychologically, it gave me only a temporary emotional comfort for the lack of love I experienced as a child. Spiritually, I felt unsafe, guilty, and ashamed before an ever watchful God. The struggle was exhausting. As a Christian, it was much easier for me to watch porn and then ask God for forgiveness. The emptiness that I experienced after watching porn, however, was so awful and painful that I simply cannot describe it here. But the desire for porn always seemed stronger than my attempts to avoid it. I was always full of shame, guilt, and a deep sense of unworthiness of God's love and acceptance. I was trapped in a vicious cycle that gave me no rest. I had tried all the techniques to stop my addiction. I tried covenant eyes for a while. I got rid of my laptop. I threw away my phone with the internet for a flip phone, but I always found ways to watch porn. The addiction was too strong. So why have I been free uh, from porn for almost two years now? The change happened shortly after I decided to open up to my new pastor about my addiction to porn. I met with him about three times. He told me that I needed to learn to see these women I was watching as human beings made in God's image. The goal would be to come to a place where the thought of using these women for my own gratification would disgust me. This was a new thought for me. I had only viewed these women in porn as wanting to make money. I never thought of them as actual human beings in God's image. And so my pastor had me read various porn statistic articles and watch emotional testimonies from porn actors and addicts. After a few more months of struggle, I was done. I began to go weeks and then months without watching porn. So what happened? Well, God confronted me with reason, grace, and power. My pastor's words caused me to think about not only the way porn was damaging my own mind, but the damage it was doing to others whether others in the industry, or even possibly my future wife. It then became clear that the only logical decision was to stop watching porn, for I was called to freedom, quoting Galatians. As I watched the stories of former porn stars, I learned about the reasons why some women do porn, and that the majority of them were from sexually abusive homes. These women were just like me. Many of them did it for the money, but for many, they did it for the money because they were desperate for money. I, was, I also saw in the documentaries how the men who produced porn abused these women and treated them like dirt. I just couldn't in good conscience use them anymore. The thought of it caused me to feel physically sick. I would hate to be taken advantage of like this. So the trauma set the stage, but porn grossly warped my view of men and women. By watching porn, I was admitting to the low view I had of human beings, even when I treated people well in person. I was not seeing men and women the way God wanted me to see, to see them, fearfully and wonderfully made. When I watched pornography in that moment, I was not thinking about the humanness of the actors, but only satisfying a sinful desire. Yet these were real people with real problems that began to bring me to tears as I watched their testimonials. Men and women who entered porn to try to escape traumatic past, just like mine, whether starvation or abuse or homelessness. So this is where the change began in my heart. I began feeling disgusted and even physically sick about my sin. Watching porn was not the same anymore as those actors became more human to me. I still find myself struggling with the effects of of a warped view of men and women, even after marrying my beautiful wife. It is a slow process that can take a very long time. I think if I met a woman today doing porn, the first thing I would do is break down and cry and ask forgiveness for using people like her all those years and the hurt I perpetuated as an addict. So now it has been almost two years since I've watched porn. Let me just say to you struggling out there that watching porn does not mean you're not a Christian. It means you are a sinner and God will meet you in your struggle. Keep toiling and struggling against it and if failing, confessing to God and others. And seek God for it is all part of God's gracious process. Your heart and your flesh will fail at times. But whoever you are, hold on, my friend. God is good and able.
1: That was very powerful, Um, very moving.
2: And I would say in my own ministry, every person that's been a genuine Christian has found healing and grown out of it. So, you know, those who simply refuse and, and don't want help You know, and they don't have the Holy Spirit, which you will not grieve if you don't care at all for people. And if you have the Holy Spirit, you do have a care for others. It's just being blocked by this addiction. So when you realize you're truly hurting people, a true Christian does respond to that. But, you know, with now some believers actually do too. They have enough conscience that when they realize um, the industry they're involved in and what they're doing, that's even stopped some of them, but there are others that their consciences are so hard they don't really care if they hurt or use anyone. And there's really not much you can do at that point unless you you know get away from them. But for Christians, I, I've seen great help and stories like this, and even this one I just read. Like I said, was the worst addiction I've ever seen.
0: Um. So I I know of um a story to a a man that's very, very open about it, uh, addiction years ago. And uh, he ended up getting some professional help from a Christian psychologist, um, along with pastoral counseling. Have you seen that sort of thing to be helpful? Especially this, this man that I know, his story is very similar to the one you just read was abused as a child and a lot of father left and stuff like that.
2: Yes. When this particular man, I just read his story when he shared also the depression and, and just the fact of the trauma, I suggested a professional um, therapist or psychologist. Actually for him, it was a psychiatrist because I thought he may need medication. So he did. And he was put on medication. That's really helped his depression. So, yes, there's nothing wrong with approaching it with sort of a two-pronged approach, getting help for those areas in the common grace world that affects all people, Christian or not. And then for me, specifically approaching it from the Christian angle of how Christ would have us few people and using those together, if that's the situation, is, is really important.
0: I had one other comment. One of the things I think that's been most surprising to me, because I was I was fairly ignorant about a lot of this, including some of the things that you were talking about regarding addiction, was um, the effect, the kind of mind and, and body effect. And this was coming from women who had husbands that were addicted, um, that the, Where porn was really the primary thing, not even um, marital intimacy, where they really uh, didn't want to be with their wives much or even physically were unable because of the effects of porn on uh, the mind and the body aspect of it.
2: Yes, in a marriage, it's never victimless because it's usually the partner who receives yeah, because they're finding again all their gratification online and, uh, you know, everything else that goes with it. And, um, they have little, and, and for some, it's a safety because they don't have to deal with real people. And that for them, it's just a way to, to stay away from any conflict of dealing with real people and having to talk and share struggles and, and so, again, the problem is they're not viewing the people online as real people. So they think, well, those images are only there for me. Mm-hmm. When I try to them, no, those are real people. Those are as real as your wife is real. And your daughter is real. And that's the problem. That you're viewing people this way. But, yeah, the effects on the marriage are, with addiction is, yeah, is pretty serious.
1: And you've touched on it and especially with with what you've covered but if you could um, summarize some things what are some encouragements that you could you would as a pastor offer uh, wives who are in these situations
2: well again if, if your husband's an addict um, there's there's nothing you can do you know you can become the perfect wife but he would still be an addict he's not going to all of a sudden stop because you're better or you, know, you look any different or anything a woman might think. Addiction is addiction. And so he has to want to get help for himself and what he's doing to others. He can't use anyone else's deficiencies as an excuse. It just doesn't work. So whatever you do, don't approach it as this is your problem to solve. This is his problem to solve or if you're a husband, her problem to solve. That would be the first thing. And secondly, it really depends on desire. If they want help, if they truly want to change and they don't want to do this, then they can. They can get help, and, but they have to want it. If they don't want it, now you're, you've got some really serious problems because it's not going to go away. And that's where you're just going to have to get more local help But don't assume it's going to go away because any situation changes. Well, you know, he has a stressful job. So maybe if he gets a new job, he won't be so stressed and he won't need porn. Life is stress. And they've already trained their body that this is how they relieve stress. So you're just not going to change outwardly what needs to change inwardly.
1: Thank you. For those of us who are parents, uh, is there anything in particular you would encourage us with as far as uh, proactive steps that we can take to um, help our children, I guess, see people as as made in God's image and not be tempted down this way?
2: Well, first, I would say don't assume your teenager, even if he or she is walking with the Lord and loves church and. It's very interested in spiritual things. Don't assume your teenager can't be involved in this. That would be a mistake. Um, they're not above it and the temptation's there for them, and their their frame is but dust like us. And so you can make a big mistake assuming that, well, mind would never do this. Because often that's the one those are the ones that are doing it. Hmm. Um and obviously the things we said before that you want to control as much as you can with the younger kids even with younger teenagers what's in the home but by 17 and 18 you really want to teach them about how to view people and how this is hurting them tell them tell them about the industry show them the documentaries show them what they're supporting you know they they're not too young for that to see what's really going on you know, it's sort of a shocking them awake to the reality of what they're now supporting and being involved in, not just well, how it's bad for their minds, but really how, what, what it's hurting, who, mm-hmm. who they're hurting. But, you know, again, if, if you catch them, just to be very calm and explain it to them, don't give them the sense that they've so disappointed God, that God is far away from them, that that we all sin in different ways. You know, you want to calm them, and if you appear to panic, it might even tempt them to think there's something to this. You know, that one forbidden thing. And and, and don't think that that means your child really doesn't have interest in the Lord. That's a little bit unfair. We don't do that with our own sins and lusts and for whatever. So let's not place a a burden of the law on our kids that we don't bear ourselves.
0: Very good point. Thank you. Um, I I have a friend, a Lutheran friend that wrote a book about, um, I guess you'd describe it kind of about love from scripture. And he had a section uh, on, you know, dealing with pornography and your kids. And he says a lot of the same things that, that you said, as far as even teaching your children, And that these are real people made in in God's image. So, some of the things that you talk about um, with dealing with someone that's already addicted, I think, apply to things that we emphasize to our children from the start.
2: I like reading Lutherans. (laughs) Well, that's all I can think of on this. I hope it was helpful. And again, I don't want to come off as an expert or criticizing any other pastors that have a different approach. But since you asked me to share my approach, I thought I would.
1: And I appreciate it very much. Um, It's helpful to get your approach uh, and how you've dealt with it. Thank you for coming
0: on. I think the last thing I just want to say, and this is me being proactive, um, and I shared a little bit with Todd before we recorded, is... Uh when we discussed this a few years ago, we just approached it and we talked about it in a different way. We talked with a woman who had dealt with this in her own marriage. Um there, I I think that there's a lot of ignorance in understanding this, which is why I appreciate Todd's approach that we need to even under there's a lot we need to understand. Um and when, when a woman deals with this, I, I can tell you from all the women that I've talked to that her default is, what did I do wrong? That mm-hmm. my husband is addicted. And I think it's important what Todd said in the beginning, that he made this decision. This is his sin. This is not, you know, you did something and it resulted in him sinning. And um, that's such an important thing to remember, because I think I even see some Christians that... Think, well, the wife must not be doing her job if the husband needs to go to pornography. And I think that's such ignorance of understanding this. So
2: it's a horrible burden to lay on the person not committing the sin.
0: Yes. Is there you you did mention the one book um, that you said every pastor should have? Which we're going to put in the episode notes, along with the Glory Club podcast. Is there any other resources? Is that something? Is that a book that would be helpful for wives or somebody addicted, or is there any other resources that you would recommend?
2: As far as sexual addiction, that really is the best. Though it it goes beyond porn. Um, that's most sexual addiction that is worse starts with porn. Now, sometimes it stays with as porn only, but other times when it advances, uh, he talks about that and, and the process and how when they cross a line, you know, and, and it leads to pedophiles and things like that, where they have crossed a line, why they can't come back. And he explains that um, in there, but, but he does start with porn. So it's a, just understanding the topic. That's the best book. Otherwise Simply Google documentaries. Like I said, Netflix has four or five of testimonies of women. I don't mean testimonies in the Christian sense, but stories of what the industry is really like. And really the rougher, the more real, the better. They need to see it. They they need to see what's actually going on. There are some Christians you can Google. There's some YouTube videos. Randy Spears is a former porn addict who came to know the Lord. His testimony is on YouTube. And God brought him out in very similar way that I've explained what he finally realized with his sin of using others. So there's enough out there uh, to find these documentaries.
0: Thank you. That, that's really helpful. I appreciate you joining us. Um, I forgot to mention in the beginning, although we've talked about it through the episode, that Todd is also on the Glory Cloud podcast with Chris Cahy. And of course, we recommend it all the time because they have so many great episodes. Definitely one of my favorite podcasts and I've learned so much. I know that some people might hear about glory cloud and you talk a lot about the, um, about the teachings of Meredith Klein, but there is so, so you guys really hit that with getting a lot of really practical subjects, even things that we've talked about here. So I definitely recommend checking out Glory Cloud Podcast also. And the other thing I'll link to is uh, is on Sermon Audio where Todd has his sermons because I know that some of the girls in our group have discovered some of your sermons. And just yesterday, someone that I didn't even know listened to your sermons sent me one of your sermons and said, this one is so good. So uh, check out some of Todd's sermons also. So thanks, Todd, for joining us. I'm sure we'll have you on again sometime too.
2: Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Enjoyed you guys.